0: Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Okay. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to uh, receive As James said, the engrafted word that is able to save our souls. Father, we thank you for wisdom. We thank you for this amazing letter from Paul that teaches us who we are in Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you will continue to teach us as we grow in the word for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in this series in Colossians thus far, we've been teaching about uh, who Christ is in our life. In the first chapter, the focus was on debunking the myth that Christ was less than God. It tells us in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, both thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were made by him and for him. In him consists all things, by him all things hold together. And he is the uh, beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the head of the body, which is the church. So that's Colossians 1, 15 to 19. Then we uh, debunked the myth that there were spiritual elites in chapter 2, uh, where there were people who worshipped angels. They were into what's called Gnosticism, and uh, they thought they had this secret knowledge and philosophy and uh, Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 6. Well, first in verse 3, he says, In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Then he says in verse 6, Don't let anybody deceive you or hold you captive by empty philosophy, which is based on the rudiments of men and tradition, because in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him and whom is the head of all principality and power. So that's Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, and then 6 to 8, 6 to 9, and 10. So then uh, we go to now chapter 3, and the focus shifts to who we are in Christ, and that's where we're going to pick it up now. And so in chapter 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things, in the Greek it's continually seek, it's not one act. Seek or continually seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he tells us what that means. Verse 2, set your minds. So it's a way of focus, it's orientation, it's an attitude, it's a lifestyle, it's intentional. Set your minds. On things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that's who we are in Christ. For when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So backing up a minute here tells us to understand that we've already been raised with Christ. So he's reminding us of what he also said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, uh, that when God, who is rich in mercy, taught us, Ephesians 2, 6, even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he raised us up together with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. That's amazing. And so uh, Paul is reminding, because these two uh letters Colossians and Ephesians were written at the same time delivered by a guy named Tychicus Uh, they were meant to be read amongst the churches in that circle in Asia Minor Uh, and so they were aware of both of these letters so here it seems like he was reminding them of what they probably already read in the letter of Ephesians that Christ already raised us up with him so Jesus is Seated at the right hand of the Father. And then when we were born again, positionally, we don't understand it, how it works, because we're physical beings. We're used to a three-dimensional material world governed by the five senses of touch, smell, taste, uh, sight, hearing, right? So we're used to this realm, but if we understood the multi-dimensional, immaterial, spiritual realm, we would know, and they're getting a hint of that right now in quantum physics, uh, where things could be in multiple places at once based on whatever you focus on. Uh, somehow or another, we're here, but we're also in heaven. That's why it says that we are citizens of the kingdom. We are right now dual citizens. So right now, I have a passport. I'm going to be using that passport to go to Lebanon, uh, leaving right after the service. So I'm not going to be rude. I have to get right out of here as soon as I finish preaching. Um, because uh, I have to be at the, there three hours beforehand. But I have a passport that says that I'm an, I'm an American citizen. But I also have another passport, a kingdom passport, that says I'm a citizen of heaven. You can see a reference to that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, 19 to 21, actually. So we have dual citizenship if we've been born from above. Legally and positionally, I am right now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, seated doesn't mean literally that I'm sitting physically. Seated is a symbolic uh, term that has to do with resting in his authority. Jesus has authority as a king. Uh, You see kings sitting on their throne. They're not walking around nervous, nervous. They're seated at the throne because it's depicting the fact that they have all authority and power over their subjects. They're not nervous, that they're in control. And so basically what it's saying is Jesus is reigning over the universe and we are reigning with him. That's what this means symbolically. How many understand that so far? So we are already seated with him. So because of that or in light of that or in consequence of that because we are seated with him that means we should seek things that are above now he's not saying to be so spiritual that you're not practical on the earth that's not what he's talking about uh, he's explaining that in just a minute what he means uh, and then he, he explains how you seek the things above is to set your mind on things above So, God is calling us to have heaven's perspective. That's all that means. It doesn't mean that we don't do physical things or that we don't live a practical life on the earth. It means to have a biblical worldview. It means to think God's thoughts after him. It means to have a mindset that's based on the values of the word of God. How many understand what I'm saying? So, it says, seek those things that are above Then it tells us how to set our minds so our minds are focused, they're intentionally focused on the things of God. And the way that happens, quite frankly, is uh, it's just like muscle memory. If you do a certain thing enough, you don't even have to think about it, you just do it. Well, the the more of the word of God that gets in you, the more you're going to think the right things because your value system changes. It's not just quoting scripture. Quoting scripture is good, uh, and it's powerful, but even more important than quoting scripture or memorizing scripture is scripture changes us. It changes our values. So even if we're not quoting a scripture in our mind, we're thinking biblically. Do you understand the difference? I could think biblically, and I try to think biblically all day, but it's not like I, it's hard at this point because I'm so immersed in the word of God It just happens. I'm thinking my value structure has changed. I hate the things God hates. I love the things God loves because I've spent time in the word of God. He actually tells us this further on in chapter 3. I'm skipping ahead here, verse 16. He said, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Somebody say richly. Richly. Meaning abundantly and overflow. And then he tells us how that happens teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and so it's not just us getting a bible in those days they didn't have bibles the only way the word could dwell in them richly was by having robust fellowship by being together that's the only time most of them ever heard the word because the bibles were not printed they didn't have a whole bible in those days but they had letters that were circulating. And so most of them didn't have these letters. They depended on the leader of the house church to read the letter. So they circulated. They copied them as much as they can. But the main way the word of God got inside of them was by being in frequent fellowship. So the word of God dwelt in them richly by them teaching each other. Admonishing also has to do with encouragement and correction. And then... Also, this is amazing, we already did this this morning, singing psalms and hymns. When we sing uh, scripture-filled songs or songs that reflect the values of the kingdom like we did this morning, that is also a teaching to us. And one of the great things about music and songs is oftentimes it's easier to remember the words of a song than just reading a Bible verse, right? Right? And so by singing songs, you're actually filling your mind with the word, and it's changing your value system. Does that make sense? Going back to chapter 3, and he says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Again, he's not talking about not being practical. He explains what that means in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, that's any sexual act outside of one man and one woman marriage. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Whenever we desire something somebody else owns, God calls that idolatry because we should be so content in Christ that we shouldn't long for someone else's property. When we do, it shows we're not content in Christ. We're thinking we're content in someone else's property. Well... That means we're idolizing that property. It's more important than God. That's why covetousness and jealousy and envy is a form of idolatry. Even if you don't have a statue erected in your house and you're worshiping it, it's a form of idolatry. Anything we desire more than we desire God is idolatry. And so he's saying what it means to have our mind on the earth. It has nothing to do with not working a good job, studying uh, as a matter of fact, God wants us to excel. He wants our churches to bless communities. He wants us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He wants us to be the greatest songwriters, pro- the greatest uh, problem solvers the world has ever seen. He wants us to be the best parents, to raise our children, to be great citizens. So the word of God, when it says, set our mind and things above, not in things of the earth, has nothing to do with not being practical. The Bible's the most practical book ever written. And it's about the earth, not about heaven. He's just talking about the value system and then not living the way the world does in sexual morality, in, in, in passion, evil desire, covetousness. Um, and then, and this is not a popular thing, this is something that most Christians probably don't believe, and, and and most people have a hard time believing. And but Paul said it, and I believe it. He said, on account of these things, on account of what? Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God comes on the disobedient. Now, he's not necessarily talking about eternal wrath, but he is talking about hot displeasure that God has when people value these things above him and above the things of the kingdom, which could result in severe discipline, punishment, judgment, and if someone doesn't know the Lord, there are eternal consequences there. In verse 7, in these, you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. So now some people say, well, you know, I'm not sleeping around anymore. Uh, you know, I, I'm not doing all these big, big sins. Well, wait, he's not finished. Verse 8, he catches all of y'all, including me. But now you must put them all away. Anger. I lose my temper sometimes. I'll tell you right now, the biggest sign that I've grown spiritually is that I don't get out of my car and beat somebody up on the road. (laughs) That was always my great measure. Even as a pastor, I got out once and I was going to hit somebody. Um, But thank God, the last 20 years, I've I've said, God, I'm definitely saved now. (laughs) I'm really saved. I'm really born again. I love people, even if they cut me off, you know. And I say, yeah, God bless you. I give them the finger. I go like this. God bless you. You know what I'm saying? And uh, But, uh, yeah, I'm ashamed of sometimes I didn't do that, especially the first 10 years of being a Christian at times. Thank God I never got into a physical altercation. All right. So, but uh, put them all away. Anger, Wrath. Malice, slander, you know, it's just talking behind people's back. Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. So he's talking about how or what he's describing what is minds on the earth. Again, it's not having to do with commerce, vocation, education, loving your family, being practical. He's talking about living in sin, basically. Lo- living by the lust of your flesh. But he is not a proponent of what we would call behavior modification. That's the next section. I want to set you up for that. Even if you're not, you know, doing the things you used to do and even if you only cuss once in a while, where you used to cuss every day, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't mean you're where you should be with God. There are a lot of moral people that probably live better moral lives than even Christians, even if they don't know the Lord. That doesn't mean they're saved. It doesn't mean they're right with God. So he's not talking about behavior. He's talking about transformation. How do I know that? Well, not only do I read the New Testament, but look at what he says. He says, we have put off the old self. That's the nature of our being. It's not dealing with trying to force yourself not to cuss. I remember before I knew the Lord, I was getting convicted. I was going to church on and off for three years. And I tried so hard not to cuss. I cussed so much that I would ask my mother, pass me the effing ketchup. And I I couldn't help it. It's like, I was like, did I just say that to my mother? I mean, this is the neighborhood I lived in, and this is what you did. I mean, we were all cussing all the time. And I tried so hard. I was embarrassed. But it wasn't until I was born again. Now, my wife will attest, I was still cussing. and didn't know it for the first six months. We'd be in prayer meetings. I literally was cussing out the devil. (laughs) And my friends told me three years later, they said, hey, Joe, did you know that... um, when you were praying all those times in the, in the house group that you were still cussing, even when you were praying, I said, no, you're not. I mean, and they told me, yes, you were. Uh, but it got less and less and less because it's a process. And then after like six months, you know, it was gone. But the point is, the answer is not just trying to stop Because even someone who doesn't know the law could try to stop. He says the answer is put on the new self. That has to do with nature, that has to do with an internal transformation. God is calling us to change from the inside out. Trying to change from the outside in doesn't do it. I remember my dad, he was like spending 45 minutes driving me and my mother to church. We lived in um, like flatlands, and he'd drive all the way to where Bayridge Christian Center is now. That was our church; it was called Calvary Tabernacle before they sold it. And he'd drive 45 minutes, drop us off, then drive 45 minutes back, stay 15 minutes, and drive 40. So finally, I said, "Dad, why don't you just come to church with us?" He said, "Nah, no, son, I, I got to get my act together." I said, "Dad." Do you realize if you could get your act together before you're saved, it means Jesus didn't have to die for you? Jesus would have just told you, hey, follow the Ten Commandments. My dad said, huh. And then I said, and furthermore, I think you're a chicken. He said, chicken? I'm not afraid of anybody. I said, then come to church with us. And he never stopped coming. He gave his life to Christ. But you call one of these old timers a chicken that, you know, they will take you up on that, right? So we're changed from the inside, and we can't do it on our own. If we could, Jesus wouldn't have died for us. We have to put on the new self. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we see him say, unless you're born from above... You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot see it. Um, I remember, you know, when I was wrestling with Christianity for like three years, there was no man who could convert me. I, was, I had the gift of suspicion growing up in the mean streets of New York City. I didn't like pastors and I didn't like preachers. I thought they were all phony I didn't like priests and nuns. I got thrown out of school many times. They thought I was incorrigible. I got suspended many times. And even in college, the English professor quit two weeks before the semester ended because I was driving it crazy. And basically, uh, I really was wrestling with God. And no man can convert me, no preacher. But one day, having dinner with a young man my age, Michael Pieri, he prayed with me, and I asked Jesus to come in my life. I said, "Jesus, because I believe you rose from the dead, come in my life." And on January 10, 1978, I was changed. I was born from above. No man could attain me. I was too rebellious. But God saved me from the inside out. My God. And that's what Paul is saying here put on the new man. He's not saying reform the old man, he's not saying change your bad habits. Christianity doesn't make bad people good, it makes dead people alive. <laughs> And we're dead. We're all sinners. And we continue to sin until we go to be with the Lord. But the only answer is yielding to Christ, initially being born again from above, and then after that, continually putting on that new man. That means that we're consciously yielding to the spirit inside of us, yielding to what God has done, that new creation inside. Every day, same way you put on your clothes, you pray, you wait on God, you seek him, You put on your new man every day. You consciously yield to the spirit. That's the only way you could do it. That's the only way I could do it. If I don't put on the new man, I don't care the fact that I've been saved for 42 years. I'm going to start reverting back to my old lifestyle and start acting just the same way I did before. And it just gets progressively worse until people won't even know the difference between the way I was when I was 19 and the way I am now. But that's why every day we put on that new man. It's not like once saved, always saved, you don't have to do it again. No, 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 no. Every day we put on that new self, which I love this. In the present perfect, in the Greek it says, which is being renewed. Meaning you're not fully renewed this side of heaven. You are always in a process. You're in a journey. We're on a path. This is never a place, this side of heaven, where we've arrived. Jesus said, I am the way. Christianity is a journey. It's a way of life. And we're going from glory to glory, faith to faith. And so it says we're being renewed every day. We're getting closer to God. Every day we're learning more about what God is doing in our lives. And every day we become more like Christ which the early church fathers called theosis. Theo meaning God, osis, become like. You're becoming more like Christ. And so he says, we're being renewed after the image of its creator. Again, theosis. We're becoming like Christ more and more. Verse 11 For there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, scinthean, slave, free, but Christ is all in all, meaning. In Christ, there is no ethnic barriers. There's no skin color barriers. There's no economic barriers. There's no elite class. Like Paul was fighting the elite Gnostics that thought they had this higher enlightened view enlightened view and philosophy. No, no, no. They're, God doesn't, okay, because you have a PhD, you're better in the kingdom. No, 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 no. You could have a PhD from Harvard, but I'd rather get a PhD in the Holy Ghost. Right? But I'd rather have both, actually. <laughs> you know, I think education is important, and I, I've studied myself. But the point is, uh, the, God, the, the church is not divided into poor section, rich section, elite section, powerful section. No, no, we're all one. And that's why I love the fact that we're a multi-ethnic, we're a multicultural church. We are a church. That looks like our community. I love that. And uh, I mean, I'm, I know I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Italian. But I know I also have French. I have English. My wife's Lebanese and Polish. And then we see so much in this church. We love it. That it looks like the kingdom. But God doesn't have favorites based on ethnicity or economics or status. That's all he's saying. And then he repeats the words again verse 12 put on again as God's chosen ones now he's describing what the new man should look like holy and beloved people put on compassionate hearts one of the things that just flows out of those who put on the new man it's effusive it's not like it's even hard is compassion. If you really are walking with God, you're going to have compassion on people. You're not going to walk around judging everybody, being critical. You're going to get into their mind and their universe and try to feel their pain and have empathy. That's what it means. Um, sometimes Christians have a reputation of being the most judgmental people on the earth. Sometimes that's not a fair assessment. But in reality, those who are really putting on the new man should be known for compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness doesn't mean you let people step on you. It's controlled power. It means that you have the power to do something, but you control it. God is meek. Jesus said he was meek. Superman, you know, in the comic books, the old ones, I don't know about the new ones, but the Superman had all this power, but he controlled it. And he was gentle with people right unless they were arch enemies trying to hurt the world so that's what meekness is doesn't mean uh, weakness it means strength that's controlled so that's all coming out of a new life patience bearing with one another that means it's hard sometimes to deal with people right how many know it's hard it's hard to deal with people it's hard to deal with myself never mind other people Bearing with one another, and if someone has a complaint against another, forgive. That's one of the greatest signs that you're growing is that you're emotionally mature enough to forgive and not to walk around with bitterness, not to slander, not to talk bad, not to celebrate when certain people aren't doing good. So, these are all signs that we have the new man on, and then. summarizes it in verse 14 above all these things put on love someone say put on love (laughs) why is that above everything because he explains it because it binds everything together in perfect harmony it's the belt that keeps the armor on it's the sleeve or the envelope that holds the papers together everything is held together by love in perfect harmony Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule is the word umpire. It, it, it basically is the thing that we should go by. It tells us what's right and wrong by peace. Let that peace rule in our heart, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And then we already talked about being filled with the word of God, and he ends this By saying, and whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Powerful. Imagine, do everything in the name of the Lord with an attitude of giving thanks. And so, when we have the new man on, peace rules us. And in this day and age of... So many things that have divided the world, whether it was first a political election, pitted one group against the other, then you had uh, COVID uh, put stress on everybody, isolated everybody, and then you had the, uh, the BLM movement, people were against it or for it, then you have critical race theory, people are for it or against it, then you have this, then you have that, so many things. Now you have the vaccinated, then the unvaccinated, so many things in the last two years have tried to separate the nation into two different nations, right? So much turmoil, so much fear, so much unrest, and on top of that, people were isolated because of COVID. And so they had to deal with this by themselves, which caused a lot of depression, as we know. In the midst of this, the greatest witness... We will have is letting the peace of Christ rule. That'll show people, man, there must be something supernatural, because there's no way you could have this kind of peace in the midst of all this divis- division, division, and, and turmoil and unrest. You're walking in peace. You are putting on that new man. That's going to be the greatest witness of the resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have the greatest news that the world has ever seen. We thank you, God, that we have this wonderful letter to the Church of Colossae. We thank you that in Christ all things hold together, whether it be things in heaven or on earth. Father, we pray that you would help us as a congregation to understand what it means to put on the new man. To put on Christ. Help us to understand how you are looking for change on the inside and how everything else will follow. Oh, God, forgive us for mere behavior modification, but that we would be transformed. We'd wait upon you. And Father, even as we corporately come together for the Psalm Assembly next weekend, what an opportunity it'll be to seek those things that are above, to set our minds on things above where Christ is. To give you the space for three days to work inside of us. To push away that food or to modify what we intake so that we have more time to spend with you. Oh God, that there would be an incredible response. That every person would participate in some way. We look to you, Lord. We look to you. Transform us. Transform our heart. Why don't we all stand? I'm going to ask those who help us pray to come to the front. If you're somebody who desires prayer as the worship team is ministering, you could come forward. You want to pray for physical uh, ailments or any kind of financial, relational, whatever it is, we're here for you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I remember when Michael Pieri prayed with me in that restaurant on January uh, 10th. He said, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? I said, yes, I do. He said, ask him in your life right now. I said, well, I'm not in church. I feel funny. I'm in a restaurant. He said, do you believe God is everywhere? I said, yes. And right then and there, I prayed. And later on, I learned that the Bible says, if you confess or admit that Jesus Christ is your Lord, and you believe, at the same time you're admitting it, that you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity now. If you don't know where you're going, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, and you believe Jesus died on the cross for you, and furthermore, you believe that he took all of your sins and was punished for your sins on that cross, you believe that and that he's not dead, that he's not in the tomb, that he's alive. If you believe that, I want you to pray this prayer. And after you pray it, tell one of us so we could give you some literature and help you in your new journey. So let's uh, pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Jesus, I believe you're alive. Thank you for shedding your blood on the cross. For being punished in my place. Come in my life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com. Or give us a call at 718-436-0242. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.